My name is Kim Rothwell, and this is the Return to Embodiment. It's my honor to introduce Stacy Hurst. Stacy has a private practice and she has served on the American Dance Therapy Association's certification board. And she has taught dance therapy internationally, as well as published her work in the American Journal of Dance Therapy. One of my first experiences in the field of dance movement therapy was attending Stacy's class. She guided us from a remote state of movement into what is called the spell drive. And I was hooked. If you don't know what I'm talking about, and many people probably don't, that's okay. It might be time for you to consider attending her class at the Embodied Education Institute of Chicago, where she teaches Laban Movement Analysis. And you too can experience the sheer joy and curiosity of movement in the way that Stacy teaches it. But for now, I'm welcoming you to the return to embodiment. I'm here with Stacy Hurst, and we're going to be talking today about embodiment, a little bit about Stacy's current work that she's pursuing, and um, anything else that arises in our conversation. <laughs> so, thank you. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you're doing this. Could you? Um, Answer the question, how is embodiment to you? I think the way you phrase the question is interesting in and of itself. How? How is embodiment? (laughs) It is, right? Yeah. How is embodiment? Um, Well, I have to say, I think in a large part, I've learned this through my clients through trial and error over years of practicing, you know, introducing some things that I know and I've learned, but what, what works for them, what doesn't work for them. A lot of my referrals come from therapists who can't get their clients in their body. Those are air quotes around in their body. And, um, there's a lot of reasons for that, that I'll answer down the road, but, um, How is embodiment? How is the act of dropping into one's body? Like being able to to use, I think it's Bessel van der Kolk's term, interoception. People who are embodied are able to interocept, meaning have a felt sense of what is going on inside their body. Felt sensations, emotions, even thoughts, um, images, like what's going on in the body. I think Bessel is mainly focusing on body sensations. If you're embodied, you can do that. If you're not embodied, you can't do that. If you're not able to do that, you don't know what you're feeling emotionally or even sensation-wise and you're missing a whole story that's going on below your neck. Yeah? Yeah. Would you say there's 
a lack of awareness or a numbing or. Mm -hmm. Well, see this. So this kind of starts to go into the second question you prepped me for, which, you know, is like, what am, what's the work I'm doing right now? Mm -hmm. So again, over these number of years, especially early on, I kept thinking about what's the common denominator. I wanted to do some advanced training and I was like thinking like, what's the common denominator here? for most of my clients, because the clients would come from, you know, eating disorder realm, from trauma realm, from depression, anxiety, and all these. And actually trauma was the, the underlying kind of thing. And trauma takes people out of their body felt experience. Yeah, it's oh, an, ad an adaptive response to a traumatic yes. experience is to numb. Yeah, to evacuate the body, to dissociate, to numb out, to freeze parts of the body, to store memory lodged in a body part that's sort of encased in, you know, something hard, if you will, you know, metaphorically hard or even physically hard with, with a musculature that is just so rigidly held and bound that the material that is locked and loaded there is inaccessible. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of my clients will come having done a lot of talk therapy and they can only get to a certain point. That's, that's the issue. Well, I've talked this through, I've worked this, I've seemingly air quotes worked this through, but they haven't actually done the work on a body level. And they're wondering why is this trauma still alive and kicking in their bodies or why are they still depressed or why are they still anxious? And, you know, they haven't dropped down to the cellular body held place in order to really physically work through, move through that trauma or whatever. Little trauma, big trauma, mm -hmm. blocked emotions. Even some of my clients, because, you know, I work with IFS, internal family systems theory too. It doesn't have to be like what would be a trauma necessarily, but there's often parts that I'll come across for people which are worried about them being overwhelmed with emotions. So if you have some kind of, I don't know, let's just say a grief and loss, that's actually something that just came up last week was somebody was grieving and, um, had another loss happen and they were shutting down the experience and sort of acknowledging that they're really scared to feel it because of the intensity of the pain they experienced in the first loss. So this protective part came in just to damper everything down and it was in their body and they could feel it, you know, like a bubbling cauldron that's got a big tight lid on top. I loved that that image of trauma being a situation where someone evacuates the body because it becomes somehow intolerable or too scary to be connected to one's own phenomena or experience. And so in your work, can you give us an example of how you guide into reconnection? So I'm weaving together internal family systems, dance movement therapy, different techniques, and all in a trauma-informed package. 
And I'm super getting into the polyvagal theory and therapy book right now by Deb Dana, which I'm super excited about. Okay. So let me, I'm trying to think of like common things. Yes. So some of my clients would prefer to sit on the floor. It's a solid surface. They feel more grounded on the floor with their back against the couch. Some of them sit on the couch. Um, what I'm starting to do with them only recently is, is I'm really forcing the issue of keeping the spine vertical because what I've been noticing is that there's this tendency to enclose and create like a ball with the body, which in my mind is reinforcing the traumatic experience and need to protect the vital organs. So I'm working on um, regulation, keeping the person in the ventral vagal social engagement system through three, six breathing, through this vertical spine, by grounding, we do resourcing with imagery. A couple of clients like to use trees. We use favorite places that feel calm and centered. And IFS is um, built around an idea of curiosity and compassion. It's all about that. So if we can start to get tuned into those early, early physical warning signs that somebody is about to dysregulate and the client can have enough interoception and be present enough to notice the early warning signs. They notice them inside. I notice them physically on their body. Then we can interrupt the, the, the dissociative cycle. We can interrupt it by backing up, slowing down, grounding, using five senses to gain awareness. And I talk about it as like a path that we've always gone down over and over and over again, the trauma path that we've gone down. You know, feel feeling too much, dissociate. Feel feeling too much, dissociate. That path gets worn. We want to take a different path, but this one is less solid, less um, used. So it's kind of got a lot of branches and it's hard to see this path over here. So going down that, we have to pause and make a choice. When we feel like we're going down one path, we pause, back it up and try to go down the other path and the other path until that path gets more worn and known. So so there's a choice. There's, there is a choice, actually, at a point. Mm-hmm. At a point, there's a choice. When enough awareness is built and enough um, resource is grown in the system, then we have a choice. Before that, there's no choice. It's just a boom, response. Reaction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like the imagery of the unworn path with the mm-hmm. trees and the spider webs, and it's uncomfortable to go it's down like, the is new there path. Really a path there? Because I'm not so sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So in the early stages, it doesn't always look like traditional dance movement therapy, right? In these early stages of working with somebody whose complex trauma history or even just a general trauma, or just no trauma history, just, you know, not connected, head, head, body, not connected. Um, it's those er- like early, early ways of laying down 
these kinds of ways of staying in the body. I've also noticed that um, sometimes I actually, believe it or not, like completely from the other direction. Now these are with clients who I typically have a lot of, I call it therapeutic money in the bank I can spend. You've got kind of a, a strong, strong connection. They trust you. Long-term connection, mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. with my clients with trauma histories. And I'll say, you know what? We're just going to get up and dance today. And I just go that angle to start moving the body. So the mobilization aspect, you know, of the trauma response, like to try to get them into like a, almost like a flight, like a movement, just move your body. You know, you can move your body. And so sometimes for some of them, I can, I can encourage them enough where they're willing to do that with enough structure a lot of times they'll need so much structure to be able to do that. And it's fine, you know, because I'll just be moving with them, but they're pretty much following me and that's fine. Mm-hmm. And that's you part know? of the skills of part the of dance the therapist building. is part of guiding, guiding yeah. people into movement. Oh yeah. In a sure. way that isn't too threatening. Yes. Because, you know, for some people too much open-ended unknown like move however you want is not going to work for a lot of people and why do you think that is because it's unknown it's very scary for some of my clients also they have huge perfectionistic tendencies that keep their stuff under control and um you know, when we say, oh, there's no right or wrong way to move. They're like, what? You just <laughs> freaked there me out. There has to be. There <laughs> has to be. But I'm pretty sure if I moved certain ways, you would object. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right? Yes. Or it would be somehow it would just be wrong. And mm-hmm. this notion that that's not true is impossible. It'd be like me telling you the sky is red, Kim, don't you know? That it's that it's that far fetched for them to believe that something could have no one answer. And but it's, it's just overwhelming though. At the same time, it's like, you know, when you go to, you know, jewel with a cereal aisle, it oh. can be daunting, very overwhelming. <laughs> so much overstimulus. <laughs> And at least you have very single choices. You know, you can get the checks or the life or the... Or all of them, whatever. But, you know, at least there's choices. But with movement, there's there's no definitive... You could say move your arm, but there's a million ways you could move your arm, so... Mm-hmm. They need choice. They need there, there used to be more um, dance forms that were common. Mm. Oh, yes. We're all going to do disco. There's right. something familiar about that. We're all going to do it's swing dance. Or we're going to do yes. square dance. Yeah. Some of my clients that do have certain movement forms under their belt, like yoga, or actually I have a couple of people that do dance in different forms, you know, they might start there which is totally fine. They start with their known, but for some clients who don't, you know? There's no known form to start with. No, and they, you know, move, even just saying, well, you're moving right now. They just, they almost like lock up even further, like, oh shit, I am. (laughs) 
You're, you didn't see that, did you? You didn't actually see me move, did I you? I guess I should stop breathing. I guess. I should just, yes, curl up. Come and into the ball. Curl and up and die. Yeah. They'd probably so, rather do. Actually, that's funny because it's like being seen is a theme that's been coming up in my office lately and the threat. Oh, my goodness. Being seen is a threat. So, you know, how do you work in an individual one-to-one setting with somebody when you know you're being seen? If you're in a group, it sometimes makes it a little easier. Maybe you're, maybe you can be sort of invisibly cloaked in the group material that's coming up. That's why group DMT is for a lot of people a lot easier to tolerate than individual one-to-one. And that brings up for me attachment stuff. Oh, yeah. One of my clients said, oh, my God, I'm so scared right now. I see you seeing me. And it's all about attachment. All about attachment. I see you seeing me and it's freaking me out. And then the invitation to move, which as a baby is however you want. And there is no right way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, yes, in a securely attached relationship, yes. But when you're the baby who's crying out because you're hungry or you're wet or you need love and comfort and no one's there connecting with you, maybe you're doing it wrong. Maybe your cry is somehow wrong because it's not working. So then you do other things like you shut up and maybe that'll work. So that your voice is, you know, squashed because it's not working anyway. And then as a grown-up, you hear your parents say stuff like, you were such a good baby. You never cried at all. Yeah. How is that even possible? Yeah. So, yes, much of, much of the trauma work that I am seeing is rooted in something to do with zero to two attachment something something. And a lot of times after that, it gets compounded with other traumatic experiences on top of that. So it's very complex. And you have two children of your own. Yeah. Who (laughs) I pray are securely attached. (laughs) I think they are. Yeah. And are you able to kind of reflect on their movement what you noticed when they were developing oh you know this story yes (laughs) well the story is basically that the movements that the way that they were born into this world the way their birth went is really the kind of people that they are today and they're very very different people and they're very very different movers and in you know in terms of lab on movement analysis they are they couldn't be more different in the ways that they approach their environment on a body level but and interesting some of that, yeah. and some of that is just personality oh it's the, all it, it, it's it resides all. in the body and it's there yeah it was there at birth it was literally there at birth and it's continued as you know, Judith Kestenberg, it would if you looked at their attention flow attributes, they're really they're really completely the opposites in many ways. Yeah. 
And I think it's curious. My older one was adorable. It'll make me choke up, but you know, my younger one went away to college. So he's been away for a few weeks now. And the older one texted him, I'm sitting in your room doing some artwork, missing you, blah, blah, blah. And the younger one texts back, oh, I miss you too. Ethan, I'm so glad you're in my room putting energy in there. My older one is reading me this text thread and he said something like, did you ever think you'd see the day when we were actually getting along <laughs> and talking to each other like this? And I'm like, it's a miracle. <laughs> no. Because they were so different growing up. So, so different. Different interests, different people, different everything. And um, I think they really appreciate each other's gifts now. And there is common ground in their artistry, different kinds of art, but in their artistry, there's common ground. But when you're, when you, when somebody is in your life that has such a different movement life than you, it's really hard to appreciate them for who they are because they're just so different in their movements, you know? Mm -hmm. And understanding the Laban work. Yeah. As a framework for how you held difference. Yeah. Not as better or worse, just different. Yeah. And so requiring a different response from you as a mom with your tendencies and movement preferences. Yes. And it's still hard with, for me, with Ethan, because he's my gradual, sustained mover. And that's a very hard movement quality for me to fully appreciate. I only exert, in, or I mean, I only um, use that for recuperative. When I'm recuperating, I, I love it. But when, when I'm trying to do my day, my life, it's very hard for me to be in sustainment. And that's that's how he rolls. And it's it's probably actually like a healthier place to hang out in general in yeah. life, right? Well, one of my dear friends, Nancy Hill, just posted something about um, many people in the United States feel like it's some kind of badge of honor to wear that you're like so busy, like crazy busy and everybody's all crazy. I'm so busy. Oh my God. I'm so busy. Stressed. Got so much on my plate. So much to do that we are like, it's almost like you get to wear that as a badge of honor or something, as opposed if you say, you know, oh, I'm having a chill day today. It's like Monday at 12. I'm having a, I'm just having a real chill day so far. It's really nice. You know, people are like, oh, you know, real judgy. Yeah. I can't seem to find the time to slow myself down and go to exercise class, you know? Yeah. Something to do. Yeah. Something to aim for that deceleration gradual yeah. life. Yeah. So Ethan's got that down. So, yeah. Well, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you to Stacy Hurst for joining me in this conversation. 
to Josie Rothwell for the opening music and Erin Kate Dunnick for the closing music. And thank you to our listener for joining us in the return to embodiment. <laughs>